Mysteries to Die For is sponsored by Down and Out Books. The featured new release this week is Carolina Blood by Richard Hood. When his ne'er-do-well physician father dies, James Thorway discovers an old backroom contract indicating that he is, in fact, an adopted child, whose parentage includes a mother named Allie Morlock from the far back in the mountains of western North Carolina. Having grown up in the rarefied atmosphere of a well-born of Rolton, Tennessee, Thornwaite must now confront the fact that his birth mother's Appalachian heritage, and he goes in search of her and her meeting. Establishing contact with a small newspaper publisher in Glade, North Carolina, Thornwaite begins the search for Allie Morlock and finds himself immersed in intense family histories, tensions, struggles, dating back generations, and involving people named both Hampton and Morlock. Thorwaite travels to Glade, meets Sam, the newspaper man, and Sam's sister, Leela, both of whom set out to help him in his search. As he discovers more details about the Morlock family, Thorwaite finds that they've been involved for generations in moonshine and, more recently, drug trafficking. The search for his mother necessarily involves him in the exploration of white liquor dealings in the mountains and back home. Engaged in digging up the past, Thorwaite finds himself inexorably drawn into present-day passions, pent-up violence, and crime. His search compels him to confront the question of his own identity, the mystery of his birth mother, and the tangled complexities of his mountain heritage. Carolina Blood by Richard Hood is now available through Down and Out's website, Amazon, Bards and Noble, IndieBound, and all your favorite independent booksellers. Welcome to Mysteries to Die For. I am T.G. Wolf, and I'm here with Jack, my piano player and producer. This is a podcast where we combine storytelling with original music to put you at the heart of murder, mystery, and mayhem. Some episodes will be my own. Others will be classics that help shape the mystery genre we know today. These are arrangements, which means instead of word-for-word readings, you get a performance meant to be heard. Jack and I perform these live, front to back, no breaks, no fakes, no retakes unless it's really bad, and then he makes me begin all over again. This is season one. This season comes from my book, Widow's Run, which was published in 2019 by Down and Out Books. If you love clever, sharp-edged mysteries and thrillers, check out Down and Out on the web. Today's episode, we reach the end of our story. You have to listen in order for the story to make sense, so start with the episode called What a Lovely Corpse You Have and catch up to us from there. We'll be here for you. We've listed a cast of characters in the show notes to help keep track of the players. To recap, our hero, Diamond, faked her own death, burying the mainstream suburban professional she was to resurrect her CIA cover. Why? She needs to do what the police won't, investigate her husband's death. In the last episode, Diamond discovers the money behind Gabrielle's death was a woman going by the name Chrysanthemum. Andrew Dix and Ian Black used video footage from a security camera to put a face with the name Dr. Julie Liu. Today's story is about tying up loose ends and just desserts. This is the final episode, 
episode 14, I'll take the coup de grace with a side of fries. Gray clouds boiled with the fury of the gathering storm. Thunder rumbled in the distance, a low growling threat sending animals with any sense to shelter. Rain closed in. In the heavy scent, the wind tore across my newest property. I walked the perimeter one last time, Ian and Dixon in my ear. Exit camera three and enter camera four, Dixon said in my ear. That's less than a two-second gap between camera angles, Ian added. She brings company, and we'll see them coming. Maybe we should go in there with you. Dixon had been puppy dog enthusiastic about setting up the warehouse for this final act, but since then he's been giving me sad eyes, knowing that he and Ian would be in a van a half mile away. After finding Ian in his building, Dixon had lost some of his fearlessness when it came to where Ian and I were at any given time. I kept reminding him that I was dead. This is between me and Lou, I said. You did your part. Now it's time for me to do mine. Ian sounded as though he didn't have a care in the world. Trust Diamond, Dix. Hey, did I ever tell you about the time she hijacked a ferry? Again with the stories. Borrowed, Ian. Sheesh. I gave it back to the captain just as soon as those river pirates were under arrest. The teasing balanced out the tension. I did interrupt as Ian told a highly exaggerated version of a tiny incident. Dixon swallowed it hook, line, and sinker. The sky darkened, bringing night on two hours ahead of schedule. A flash of white lightning and a roll of thunder announced the storm's arrival. Heavy drops of rain fell, splattering on the weed-infested parking lot. I entered the warehouse. The cavernous space was too dark to see the ceiling. Only when lightning flashed could the true size of the room be appreciated. This had been an assembly factory. Gears and tools, twisted sheets of metal, and half-assembled machines littered the waist-high tables. It was as if an entire crew had gone home at the end of a shift and never come back. White LED lights set within the cast-offs created shadowy monsters, hungry and lurking. I walked the path my quarry would follow to a raised platform, approving of the ominous atmosphere created by the black-on-black -black motif. The stage held only a wide armchair resembling a throne, and it held court over the dilapidated ruins. Here, I reigned, the queen of diamonds in a fucked-up wonderland of my own concoction. I dressed for the occasion, continuing the monochromatic theme, like repacks finished in boots made for fast moves. Of course, it allowed free arm movement. A leather coat flowed like a cape, a twin to the one Irish wore at my funeral. My eyes were the stalking green of a cat about to dine very well. 
I painted my lips to match. I sat and allowed the stillness to take me. At last, everything was ready. In the two weeks since this plot of mine hatched, I debated if I was going overboard. Wouldn't I be more satisfied with the straight up end of the story? In a moment, it could be over. The sting of a bullet, the end of a rope, the bottom of a glass. I wanted to watch Julie Lou die a hundred times since that day in Irish's house. While the fantasies were cathartic, they were too fast. Julie Lou did not deserve fast. And it wasn't because Gabrielle's wife was pissed. It was because Lou deprived an entire population of the good that that geeky scientist was doing. In killing him, she murdered a population. Since fast and easy were out while I stuck with plan A, slow and terrifying. Ian tapped into his connections and fed information into the closed Chinese network. The Chinese liked order and predictability. Doubt and suspicions made them nervous. Nervous made them dangerous. Dixon hacked into things I didn't know could be hacked into. He messed with Lou's computer, the control system on her greenhouse, and her Stitch Fix account. He giggled as he imaged her hard drive, canceled appointments, insulted the university president's wife, instigated an ice age, and had her clothing delivery changed to include only orange articles. Irish had become a regular at my kitchen table. Ian and I both kept an eye on him, expecting retaliation against Dixon, but it didn't happen. Guess Irish was a dog lover too. Dixon wore him with his boundless energy, his loose morals, and his bottomless stomach. The black eye had finally faded, but not before Irish saw it. Dixon didn't rat his old man out. For myself, I've been stalking Lou. Nothing horrible, just enough to put her on edge, you know, to wobble that cocky attitude. Then I blackmailed her. $10,000 for the records that proved she hired Hugo Franzetti to kill. Tonight at dusk, she would pay the ransom, in person and alone. All the I's were dotted, all the T's were crossed, so I waited. Minute by minute, our paths came closer to resolution. Rain pelted the roof, sounding as though the sky dropped marbles. Lightning flashed, flooding the industrial space. Still, I waited. The air smelled of petroleum, dust, and rain. Nothing to be afraid of. Car approaching, Ian said in my ear. The car is slowing in front of the building and turning onto the circular drive. I left my throne for my starting position, a recess near the entrance. The screen ran the length of the room, invisible to the naked eye in this light, enabling me to play puppet master with impunity. Figures entering, exiting the vehicle, opening the door in three, two, one. I pressed a button on the remote Dixon had built for me. Front doors opened. Confirmed, Lou with two men. Yet she and one of the men jumped. Third was cool, the taller one. Both men are armed. Assault rifles approaching door two now another button on the remote, and a recording began to play. 
Halt! Thou art about to enter the next dimension. The booming voice of R&B's next superstar echoed off the concrete floors. King was happy to help with my escapade, and maybe he thought the mind juice hadn't quite worn off. This place is for the pure of heart. Enter with reverence, leave with bounty. Enter with dishonor, leave in a casket. He stretched the syllables of the last three words, painting a picture of an endless hell. The effect was even better than I hoped. King didn't just read the script I'd written. With the help of Jose Cuervo, he performed the fucker. They stopped, Ian said. They looked spooked. That weird shit you had King say actually has them nervous. When we talked about my death, that is my first death, I told you I would have gone out epic if I could. Well, this here is me going epic. King's disembodied voice continued, Choose now. The disconcerted chatter of my quarry came through my earpiece, overlaid by Ian's chuckle. She's pissed, Diamond. One of the men does not want to. Shit, take cover! I covered my ears, patiently awaiting the result of the assault rifle versus the industrial door. In the end, the gun was exhausted, and it still took a hand to open the door. The small figure, our Dr. Julie Liu, led the incursion, tossing the spent weapon aside. King's voice played on loop a recording of slow, melodic nonsense that birthed unrest. Liu barked an order in chi a Chinese dialect. The men fanned out. The complex arrays of lights and shadows before them were designed to warp perception of space. Liu staggered to the left, a hand on the machine press stabilizing her. She walked past me, followed by the man that I came to think of as extra number one. From a selection of weapons within my alcove, I selected a sap and then stepped out from the screen, a shadow moving among shadows. The weight in my hand was an extension of me, cutting through space and hitting true. I caught extra number ones dead weight, slowing his descent to the ground, eliminating the sound. He carried a handgun and two knives, all of which were mine now. Covering him with the dirty tarp, he became another forgotten relic in the warehouse. What the fuck? Lou asked. Okay, I don't actually know what she asked, not understanding a word of Chinese, but she had that what the fuck expression on her face. Extra number two responded probably said something like, I have no idea, but the lights are fucking toxic. When extra number one didn't comment, the parade stopped. Both turned and looked to the spot where I used to be. Lou walked backwards, edging toward the center of the room and finding nothing. She wasted more bullets on the walls and ceiling. Still the bassy chanting dro droned on. She barked orders to the last man standing. Lightning flashed and thunder echoed as though I had cued their lines. Snapshot images of their faces showed fear in wide eyes. She did not like the soundtrack custom made for her arrival. I was trying not to spell the gibberish that King recorded. Insert whatever you think demons crawling out of hell sounded like. With another button on the remote, a weight dropped. Extra number two world, firing over and over and over until there was nothing left to shoot. The second rifle hit the floor. 
Lou ordered extra number two to the offending area. He walked with a stride that was determined, ruthless, fearless when someone was trying to scare him. You know the kind. There's one in every horror movie. Until they get eviscerated. Behind the cover of the screen, I came up behind him. He called to Lou, signaling all clear. She turned her back on him. Neither saw the garret reflect in the silver string in the flash of the LED light. It cut through skin and muscle. A blood-red pool tainted the colorless floor. Pained and desperate shouting rebounded across the vast space as the man fought for his life and lost. And then there was one. Who is there, she said, finally deciding to try English. I am here to make a deal. I have money. Right. I almost forgot about that ruse. Staying in the shadows, I retook the stage and my throne. It was almost fun. Triggering the surprises engineered along the corridor. She jumped like a frightened cat, spinning in the air, screaming like some 1970s horror star. With a flash of reflected light, bullets hit the, sh the scraped metal, dangerous for the random angles of the shrapnel. I wasn't behind protective cover. I wasn't layered in Kevlar, but I wasn't scared. Tonight, retribution was my armor. I paused the loop on the satanic ramblings and hit play on the grand finale. Stop. The recording gave the order and Lou obeyed. Go no further. You have reached the end. <laughs> King laughed, climbing the scale. Do, re, mi, fucks you. The electronics elongated and twisted his voice into a maniacal sound that could never be mistaken as saying. Stop this, stop this, I said. Her voice was stilted, afraid when she tried to be commanding. Who are you? The laughter stopped, and in the silence that followed, was the crack in the gates of hell. Something wicked this way comes. Oh shit, that's my cue. I'm the one you're waiting for. I played my part, the calm board deity. I've been waiting for, you, you set this up. I'm, I'm here to explain you were wrong about Italy. It was a cute ploy. I brought the lights up center stage so we could talk face to face. Her eyes widened. Jessica Fielding? She raised her gun. Mine was already trained on her. You want a chance of walking out of here, I said. Drop it. One time offer. She thought about it. Her decision was in her eyes, and well, I shot the gun out of her hand. Hard for me to tell if I hit her hand, her arm, or the gun itself. All I cared about was that the gun was on the ground now. I am unarmed. You cannot shoot an unarmed woman. It is the law of the American. What movie she got that from? I cocked my head. But then I wouldn't be shooting an unarmed woman, would I? I'd be shooting a killer. With wide eyes, she vehemently shook her head. I killed no one. No one. Her grammar was falling to pieces just like the rest of her. Hugo Franzetti. Lou looked like I was speaking Greek. You remember Hugo? Italian? A small-time con looking to make a few bucks. Don't tell me you don't remember the man you hired to kill Gabriel Ruchinsky. He did your dirty deed, and you rewarded him by filling him with lead and driving his car into a ravine. 
You must have been dancing in your quinoa when Gabriel was killed by the car and Francisco Thalen died by the drink. Talk about throwing off suspicion. Don't worry. I don't blame you for Francisco Thalen. After all, you weren't trying to kill him. He, he try and kill me. She tripped over her own feet as she moved backward toward the only door visible. I adapted the, a visage of sympathy, a therapist coaxing their delusional patient to reality. Of course, you needed to do something drastic to protect yourself, I said. You had no choice. I mean, when the emails you sent to Buford Winston did not succeed in defunding Gabriel's plan, in him being fired so you can step in his place, I mean, you had to do something physical, right? Something permanent. You've done it before. The winner of the Stockholm Junior Water Prize, the chair of the botany department, the roommate, they were all hurdles, impediments, roadblocks. Lou didn't move, her dark eyes glossy in the fractured light. Just like a little rabbit frozen in the headlights. Don't look so shocked, dear. You did well, really well. You only made one mistake. Lou did not take criticism well. Her eyes narrowed and her brows, brows pressed. Mistake? I fired the gun to the ceiling. The skylights exploded as the explosives that I planted were detonated. Glass and rain poured down. You killed my husband. With each word I stalked toward Gabriel's killer, with each step, I fired the weapon and triggered another explosion. Lou retreated, tripping over God knows what. She scrambled across the concrete floor covered in glass and shells. I felt the power of a very unholy hell coursing through my body. I sprinted the distance between us, catching her by the back of her collar and hoisting her to her toes. You've been a very bad scientist. Oh, she attempted to free herself, but they were feeble. A few girly kicks, a swipe of her nails. She actually tried going boneless and sliding out of her shirt. Pressed the gun to her head and just kept it there, letting the anticipation build. When nothing happened, she slowly looked to me, daring to ask the question. Are you, are you going to kill me? I grinned. A Cheshire cat, wide-ass, big, toothy grin. I was hoping you would ask. I released her neck and picked the glass from her hair. Only someone with your moral depravity could appreciate my plan. Killing? Killing is easy, wouldn't you agree? In a fraction of a second, you'd be gone. Oh, sure, there'd be some satisfaction that the scientific community would forget your name in less time than it takes to boil water. That is, if they even noticed you were gone. The problem is, I kill you, then I become the bad guy. I can't be the bad guy in my own story. No one would take my side if I did. They'd all be sad for the poor little scientist who didn't have the benefits of special ops training. Couldn't let that happen. There had to be another solution. Instead of thinking you as a cold-blooded murderess, I took a look at you in another role, spy. Her face tightened with insult. I'm no spy. You know all those cloaked emails you've been sending to China? Got them. Oh, and the hack you hired to break into Gabrielle's email and clone it? 
Well, the feds can't touch him as long as he's on Chinese soil. You, on the other hand, I looked down at her little feet, standing on concrete that stood on American soil. You, not so much. Oh, she knocked my hand away, scrambling to put space between us. When I didn't chase, she reached blindly to the table behind her. She threw anything she could at me. Well, in my general direction, her pitching arm sucked. Hidden amid the bric-a-brac was a device of my own creation. It looked innocuous, like a, a miniature tire pump. What is that, she asked. This is the grand finale. Run. I pressed down the small tea plunger. Fountains of fire and light raced along the walls, further distorting the space. Lou screamed and sprinted for the door, only to run into a table. The run was long and the fire was fast. Even with the open skylights, the air was thick with smoke. I walked the other way to the rear door, hidden by the screen. Outside, I got a running start and snagged a ladder run. One hand slipped on the slick metal, but the other held true. On the roof, I sprinted to the front of the building, curious if Lou would escape the maze. We got three cars closing in, Ian said. Your friends are joining the party. Sure, kid, we can do that. From my perch over the front door, I watched three black SUVs park across the front of the property. Men and women spilled out, hurrying into covered positions. A woman screamed, our villain is shot out of the building. Shouts of authority rose. Lou spun in a circle, her hands in the air, her voice no match for the agents surrounding her. Flames licked the building walls, casting the gray evening in a deathly orange as Lou laid on the ground, hands behind her back. Ian shouted in my ear, Holy fuck, Diamond, what did you do? What's with the explosions? That was not part of the plan. I removed the earpiece, dropped it, and ground it into the roof. I recognized the man in the lead down there below me, Enrique Torres. I knew him by the way he moved. He secured his prisoner, then handed her off to another agent. He stood in a Superman pose, surveying the beauty of my work. He threw his head back, and he laughed in homage. The next day, nothing happened. In defense of the day, there was nothing to happen, not from my point of view. I'm sure Julie Killer Lou was busy lining up lawyers and crying to ambassadors. Her conniving little mind was probably working so hard, smoke was puffing out of her ears. I can imagine her cellmates leaning over her, snorting in the Chinese prime grade. Everybody else worked. All I could do was imagine. The day after that, nothing happened again. I got out of bed, got dressed, and then just stood in the front window, waiting for something to happen, looking for a reason to, well, to do something, anything. Third day, I met Irish for lunch at a small restaurant. I retold the splendor of that night. He complimented me on my planning. Our lunch continued long after most people came and went. I asked what he had going on, thought I could be useful, in a, you know, a dead woman kind of way. Then he dropped the bomb. He was leaving for an assignment. The work, confidential. The location, confidential. Likely return date, maybe sooner, 
but probably later. I had this weird hollow feeling in my throat. Life was moving on without me. He said goodbye and it really felt like goodbye. He told me to get some sleep and he ordered me to eat, as if he could order me to do anything. Then he left. Ian had moved back to his place and Dixon split his time. Ian and I argued over who got to feed the bottomless pit each day. We both wanted him. Hell, we both needed him. I wasn't sleeping well. I spent my nights inspecting the ceiling, one square inch at a time. My mind drifted to the outtakes of my life. My biggest mistakes, worst humiliations, loneliest moments. Gabrielle was featured nightly. If only I'd gone to Rome with him. Day four, nothing happened. Day five, I didn't bother getting out of bed. Day six, I was, I was getting the picture. Today, yesterday, tomorrow, what's the difference? Day seven, the illustrious Technicolor extravaganza that I'd created what felt like a year ago. Ian came over bringing pizza with him for dinner before a movie with Dixon. Ian relented and said Dixon could drive. The latter bounced with the anticipation. The former rattled off rules like a prison guard. They asked me to go no less than a, do a dozen times, but I wasn't up for a movie. I had no reason to be unhappy. Ian brought word that the Justice Department filed charges rivaling the Encyclopedia Britannica in word count. Let's take a look, family feud style. The charges were surveyed and the top three answers are on the board. Name the crimes Julie Liu was charged with. Operating as an unregistered agent of a foreign country. Number one answer. You are not having a good day when the feds write that one down. Murder in the first degree for Gabriel Rubchinsky and Francisco Torres. Arrgh. Sad but true. With Hugo dead and the Vatican's newest priest on a mission in sub-Saharan Africa, first-degree murder didn't stick. Attempted murder for Jessica Fielding. <coughs> Strike two. Can't murder someone who doesn't exist. Conspiracy to commit murder. Number three answer. Total of five counts after all the evidence was in. Fraud and other finance-based crimes. Number two answer. Turns out those grants Buford administered came from the U.S. Department of Agriculture. When Lou cheated Buford, she cheated Uncle Sam. Both were pissed. Ian heard from a guy who sleeps with a woman who is a secretary for Enrique Torres' department, who heard that Lou cried, feigned bad English, ordered her own release, and then had a breakdown. For a woman like Lou, a few decades in a prison isolated from the intellectual fanfare of university, branded as a fake, stripped of her accomplishments, well, that was her seventh circle of hell. Come on, Diamond, Dixon said. Come on, come with us. I've been practicing a lot. His endless energy drained me, but I mustered a smile. Told you, Dix, video games don't count. It's a driving simulator. It totally counts. That's how they teach pilots to fly. It explains a lot. Lightning my ass. I gnawed on a pizza crust. It was as hard and bland as my life. Are you sure, Diamond? Ian said. We don't have to see Carnage and Entrails, too. There's other movies out. 
You know, ones girls like. I snorted. When have I ever been accused of being a girl? Appreciate the offer, guys, but I'm going to hang here. I have work to do. Ian looked at his watch. Come on, kid, we should hit it. Dixon bounded to his feet. He snatched the keys from Ian's hand and he ran out the back door. You want a bulletproof vest, I asked? Helps with impact. Ian chortled. He's getting better. I put a hand on his arm as he passed. You're a good friend, Ian. You are to Gabrielle and you are to me and you are to Dixon. He blushed. Yeah, thanks. You too. Alone in my castle, I cleaned up after dinner. There were no leftovers to put away, just a few plates, a couple glasses to wash, a box to throw away. Really, there's no point leaving a mess. I did one last walkthrough just to make sure I didn't forget anything. I stuck a post-it note to my special utility drawer with Ian's name on it. Papers were in there. Ian and Dixon were now president and CEO of Diamond Cut Enterprises. There was a time when I thought the world was better off because I was a part of it. That time had passed. I was nothing more than a shadow, a memory. It was time I was forgotten. The day was overcast. The clouds heavy with the rain that would soon fall. Black birds swooped past my window, racing tree to tree like frantic addicts looking for a fix. Everything was just as it should be. In my bedroom, I took off my boots. The hardwood floors were cold in my heated feet. I picked up the silver-plated frame with my wedding photo, and I touched the face of the man smiling out at me. I picked up my gun. The three of us went into the bathroom, where we all climbed into the bathtub. No burning down the house this time. It was just me and a bullet, diamond and lead. Ian knew how to take care of a body. I wish I could have figured out a way to get back into my coffin. I wanted to be buried next to Gabriel. I knew it didn't matter where my body was. I mean, six feet deep, bottom of a river, burned to ash. It was all the same. I was going to him where bodies didn't matter. Still, it would have been nice. This time I wore my favorite sweatshirt, the one with the holes at the wrist cuffs that my thumbs fit through my favorite yoga pants and the soft, comfortable cotton. The bullet was for my heart. Broken as it was, it would still bleed. The blood would wash down the drain. That's why I didn't go for a headshot. Big mess. I didn't want Dixon to see me like that. I touched my husband's face, remembering how his stubble tickled the palm of my hand. Boy, I hope you put in a good word for me. The back buzzer sounded like the National Weather Service warning. I jumped and hit my head on the spigot. Hey, that hurt. Buzzer sounded again. Ah! And I fumbled Gabriel's picture. He fell out of the tub and he smashed on the white tile floor. Tell me, what is this world coming to when a person can't get 15 minutes of peace and quiet? I climbed out of the bathtub and I shoved the narrow window as high as it would go. What? What could possibly be important enough to lay on that buzzer like a whore on a broken mattress? The blonde outside my gate clucked like a hen. Uh, what? I'm not a whore. Bitch! I elbowed the screen until it popped out and then shoved out my gun hand. Lean on that buzzer again. I dare you. 
the screen hit the pavement with the crash and her hand reached for the damn buzzer. What do you want? I screamed. I'm looking for diamonds, she said. Please tell me you're not her. She wore these designer pants and elegant white shirt. Her hair was wild in the breeze and her face was one I'd never seen before. In the flesh, I said, doesn't tell me what you want. Her gaze swept around the parking lot. I have a problem. Welcome to the club, I said. Try Jack on the rocks. I started to pull back. I got a note, she said hastily. Good for you. I'm sure your mommy's proud. He, he said you'd read it. This was getting old. Who? His name is O'Rourke. Her voice drifted. He wants to help. Then go lay on his doorbell. Now there was fight in her voice. He told me you would help. Well, he was wrong, I said, showing bite of my own. She tore open the letter. Didn't you say that was addressed to me? You can't open it. That's against federal law. Arrest me, she said. She held the paper between her hands and her brows tightened. This doesn't make sense. Don't ask. Don't ask. Don't ask. What does it say? It's an IOU from you to someone named Sam Irish. Good for, and I quote, one favor you can call in any time except the hours of 2 a.m. to 4 a.m., any place except Malta, the Yucatan Peninsula, and Gary, Indiana, for any reason unless it's stupid. She looked up at me, triumphant. It's only seven. We're in Washington, D.C., and it's not stupid. Ha! Of course it is. I waved the gun triumphantly, knowing I caught her in the ipso facto. It's all stupid. My husband's been kidnapped, she shouted, her voice breaking on the last word. He's been missing for two days, and the police don't believe me. They think he's run off with the mistress. I froze. My arm, my head, and my shoulder out the window. Fucking Irish, I muttered, looking to the sky. A crow circled overhead, swooping lower on each turn. We're not gonna let him mess this up for us, are we? The crow raced between the buildings, banked right, hung left, and then this robin came out of nowhere and crapped on my gun hand. Fucking karma. That's it for this episode of Mysteries to Die For, and it concludes Season 1, Widow's Run. If you enjoyed Diamond's brand of mystery, her second adventure, Suicide Squeeze, will be released in February 2021 by Down and Out Books. Jack and I will be back in just a few weeks for Season 2 of Mysteries to Die For. We'll perform the oldest mysteries I can find, exploring the stories that started the genre. If you enjoy our twist on storytelling, help spread the word by telling a friend or leaving a review. Mysteries to Die For was written by T.G. Wolf. Music and production are by Jack Wolf. Episode art is by Shannon Leahy. Widow's Run was written by T.G. Wolf and published by Down and Out Books. Until next time, keep your friends close and your enemies closer.